Joining me on the show this afternoon to have a talk about all things industry is Simon King. He is from the Victoria Oxshot and Igniting Hospitality. In the midst of COVID pandemics and, of course, two years since Brexit, it's interesting to look at how the industry is going. And Simon is joining me on the show this afternoon. Simon, first of all, let's talk about uh, there's many different strings to your bow. And we're going to mention about the Victoria in Oxshot and also Igniting Hospitality. But first of all, We've got the anniversary of Brexit and the elections that we had around Brexit coming up. It's going to be two years since those on Sunday the 12th. Two years on, how is the hospitality and restaurant industry managing with the effects of Brexit, particularly, I suppose, with COVID being such a big factor too? From your opinion, how are things going in the industry? Well, it's yeah, definitely a double whammy. So it's, it's never been straightforward in, in the hostel industry. It's always been quite challenging, but the, the two can colliding at the same time is, I think, Created scenarios and, and and issues that we've we've um, never had to to uh, to deal with before, certain mm. extremities. So the staffing situation continues to be um, a big thorn in our side because we, the business and the interest and, and the support from the public and the, and the need and demanding to, to, to eat out and, and to dine and socialise is stronger than ever. But in many cases, great businesses are having to trim their their offering and their opening times just purely because of staffing levels and and then the, the Brexit as well as people there's also product mm. um, and the complications now of getting all items across the border everyone's everyone's impacted by it but for ourselves it's a combination of when we open the we open the the Victorian Ox shop we were reliant on produce and, and wood and, and building materials and then actual produce for the kitchen wine from abroad so we rely heavily on so many. Um, products from so far and wide and uh, it's been extremely complicated um, mm. and extremely challenging but but um, the, the brilliance of the industry is there's a lot of resilience a lot of people yeah. that are, can think outside the box so I think uh, despite everything that they're finding a way to, 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 to make things uh, make ends meet but it's tough. Yeah, it sounds like it is. And, and, you know, we hear a lot of people talking about the the staffing side of things, but I hadn't really thought about the produce. And I, I mean, I suppose to put you on the spot with a figure, but in terms of, you know, the Victoria and Oxshot, for example, um, what sort of percentage of products that are coming in are coming from Europe? It does vary seasonally, but I would, I would hazard a guess, that it, would, it would most likely be 25 percent i mean wow. it, we're lucky because we're, we're focusing heavily on the british produce we're yeah. you know, in surrey in the south we, we're, we're blessed with many good produce we have a, a butchers and farmers from west sussex to fish from devon and cornwall so mm. we're lucky but you're thinking about um, italian restaurants or restaurants that specialize in different cuisines further then they rely heavily on on on, on european markets to, to provide it so we're not quite impacted the same way obviously our, our wine are heavily uh, we have a, a good wine list. We have some lovely English wines, but inevitably France, Italy, Spain, and uh, the US have played a big role in that. And again, it just become there's an extra layer of complication, and also um, uh, we found that the it's an inconsistency on on availability. So we wouldn't mm. normally have to stock as high as we have, but in order to guarantee purchase, we put, we're having to invest more on bigger produce to be guaranteed to have it throughout. For example. The season, and I'll give another example. Just happened now, a glassware. So mm-hmm. glassware coming, a lot of glassware, good quality glassware comes from Europe, Poland in particular, France. But okay, um, I've been told the champagne glasses that I really would like to have for New Zealand. We can't get now until February, wow. which I think is going to be a little late for for New Zealand. So we have to find another <laughs> solution. But uh, um, yeah, so the, having to be more organised, but also cost wise, 
things have become more expensive and inevitably we, we do our utmost to avoid that hitting the consumer but it's 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 inevitable yeah i was going to say and, and of course thinking about the sort of the chain of of the financial side of that then there's always the temptation and there's always sometimes the need to pass that on to the consumer which is 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 difficult to get people through the doors yeah you want to remain competitive but you also need to watch right for business and the margins are um always been pretty slim uh in hospitality and and if you add all these costs up and then uh, the glass as an example you end up breaking you have a a large, a large breakage, and actually the cost and the, and the timeline turned around is is is, is quite detrimental. So, yeah, it, it all plays its part. But um, and it's a competitive market, right? And there's some, lots of great establishments that are doing very well, and we're all in it together. But we all need to remain competitive and offer value. Mm. Uh, and you know, same with our meat produce. You know, to get the quality we're after, it inevitably comes in at, at a price. And luckily. The vast majority understand, and I think that's a big change of the last 20, 30 years. The consumers are far more educated and far more interested in, in, in quality, good quality produce and seasonality. So when we explain, you know, we can justify the costs um, of, of this produce and, and the complications for it. I think luckily the, the UK market has been brilliant because they, they're willing to invest in that because they know. Uh, that, and it, once we have the, the staff have the knowledge of what it is, they can explain and, and, and they know what they're getting. Now, you're not only getting the understanding of this on the ground, obviously, as we said, at the Victoria Rock Shop, but also you run Igniting Hospitality, which is a consultancy which helps restaurants, particularly dealing with issues and, as you say, staffing issues has been a big one since Brexit. Are you finding the issues not just at the Victoria Rock Shop, but also, you know, how far flung are these issues and and what are you um, telling to the people that you're working with and the restaurants you're, you're working with to try and face these issues head on? Well, it's impacting everyone mm. uh, from top to bottom. Um, some of which, are, there are some be- benefits, and I, I give example in coffee shops, for example, and um, more casual dining, being uh, having more information on your guests, bookings and, and ordering systems have been in place because of um, the restrictions, because of challenges, and actually they're going to re- retain them. So it's not all doom and gloom. There's a lot, there's the use of technology in the right way, providing mm. you retain the human connection, can be very, very beneficial for everyone. And you know, we're much more switched on now to the apps, and uh, and we're much more open to ordering in that way. We pay from, you can pay just tap and pay, and all this, thing, all this um, fantastic technology will help us be more efficient with what we're doing. So embracing technology, uh, clear communication with everyone so with your team mm-hmm. and you need to look after your team communication with your guests as well just to give reassurance when needed uh, and in, and under the guidelines and information but yeah so it's i'm determined to see this opportunity um every every time you've got this this uh, new hoop to jump through then there's a way in which you can do it um and there's and there's some elements where you have to make you know, difficult decisions and Another example I referred to earlier about some businesses deciding to, to go from the seven-day week to a five-day week, even mm. great restaurants and even the Ritz in London and the Gavroche and the amazing institutions have, have closed in certain lunches purely driven by the fact of staffing. But when I first worked in London 20-plus years ago, a lot of the high-end restaurants only opened five days a week because of consistency and, the, and, you, and, the, uh, and you have a stronger, smaller team. Mm. And we, we've got a stronger, smaller team. And we, like the Victoria, we close two days a week. That allows us the same team to be together all the time. It's, it's actually more efficient. The staff can book further ahead. They know what they're doing because they've always got the same days off. 
uh, something that we don't get in our trade in a lot of industries. It's Monday to Friday and you can book a weekend away mm. with us. You can't even guarantee weekends often the busiest, but to be able to tell your team, look, you know, we've got Mondays and Tuesdays, we've got Sunday nights, for example. Um, it give, it's, it, that's, so it's efficient on a, financial, on a financial point of view. And it's also beneficial for your people and your team, which is, in my view, the number one asset of your business is the people you have in it. And that's why it's such a hot topic. Yeah, really good wisdom there and, and, and a good approach to have. And thinking about the Victoria Rock Shop, obviously, you know, this restaurant has opened recently. We're talking about some of the restaurants and some very big institutions in London who have had to adapt and sort of see almost their whole business model changing with, mm-hmm. um, you know, even thinking about takeaways and deliveries and food parcels and all these things over time. What's it been like to open a new restaurant in the current climate? Is it easier or more difficult than things have been in the past? Are there gaps in the market now where businesses have closed? How has it been, you know, doing that and going through that project at this time? Uh, there's nothing easy about it. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> Never. Harder. Absolutely nothing. Everyone said it was the hardest thing to ever do, do. And I think I can understand why. Mm. I think um, we opened in the end of August. So we've a, a lot of, we've learned a lot from what the, the previous 12, 18 months has been. So very benefit, we, could, we could start uh, and the public, under, you know, it's, it's very much, it's accepted now. We've acclimatized to it to a certain extent. We're cautious of it. We don't know what we don't. We never know what's going to happen from one press conference to the other. But um, I think it, we were in a better position because um, we didn't. You know, we threw the worst part that shock and awe element. I think we've come to climatize with. So from that point of view, yeah, I think it was to work to our advantage. Um, there's also a very keen, certainly from here, a very kindness to move on from it and to and, and to start getting normality back and opening, reopening a pub in this village and it was the only real main pub in the village. Uh, it was again another statement of uh, the new, I don't know, the new normal, but it is actually you know it's some it's a lot of positives from us from our point of view. But it's what, what is a very complicated and challenging thing to open any business for anyone, yeah. to open a restaurant business and a pub business. Um, it just becomes even more complex, and uh, but no, I think, yeah, uh, and there's definitely opportunities, and I think there's been a lot of talk about uh, the renewed um, and, and the landlord-tenant scenario, and, and mm. the, the landscape's changed, which hopefully will enable more small businesses like ourselves an opportunity to to, to go it alone. And, and um, some people think I'm a, I'm a bit brave, some people think I'm a bit crazy, <laughs> but for us, it was. For us, it was something a, a dream of always having our own business and an opportunity to to, to, to come to Surrey and to and, and that's such a great pub. But it was beautiful, and the fact that because of the climate, we could have arranged a deal and it come to an opportunity that actually makes it financially viable for a small business. So there's lots of positives there as well. And I imagine a good amount of support from the local community as well. I mean, Oxshot is a great area and a great place to have a restaurant. Have the community been really supportive of you moving in? Uh, they have been amazing. I cannot tell you how how supportive, how um, um, cooperative they've been. I'll give a couple of quick examples. We had a guest, um, one of them, oh, now regular, but a local, who was so excited about this opening. He works in um, Amsterdam four days a week and lives in Oxford the rest of the week. He came back a day early just to come to our opening day. Brilliant. We've got people changing their, their plans for holidays to return. Uh, a lot Christmas Christmas Eve is going to be... Um, it's going to be a crazy, crazy evening, and, and it's all the locals coming and coming to the bar, and the more welcome. So it's it's been without question one of the most rewarding bits, and uh, of it is how we've been welcomed by the locals and supported by them, and, they, and they, yeah, an amazing bunch of uh, 
characters and, and uh, you know, f- phenomenal people in their own right. And, and uh, it's been icing on the cake for the first three months, four months of us opening is, is having them and then return, come back time and time again. And repeat business has been our biggest compliment. So we're very fortunate. That's really good to hear. And I want to talk uh, as well, just before we finish about the competition, because you have um, sort of launched a competition to find uh, the best chefs and waiters. It's, it's really great to add some sort of positivity and to celebrate the best in the industry. How did that come about? And, and what have we had with that competition so far? Right, so the Young Chef, Young Waiter competition is actually the longest standing um, professional com- competition in our profession. Uh-huh. I actually won it, I, I won it myself a few years ago, uh, <laughs> 2000, <laughs> to 21 plus years ago when I was extremely young. I was Young Waiter <laughs> of the Year in 2000 and I've stayed with the competition ever since and I've been judging it on and off. And we had an opportunity with uh, Bob Walton to take the competition to another level. But the whole focus is mm. to showcase young talent in our, in our profession uh, and, to, and to give them a platform to really shine. And, and for me, it was huge because when I won that competition, I then worked for Gordon Ramsay straight afterwards. And it was, oh, wow. my, my career went from, from uh, went up and up and up from that point. It was, a, you know, and I wanted to make other people to have the same, uh, the young people to have the same opportunities. So I now am a head judge for it. So I'm a leading, and we're making it a uh, young chef, young way to the, of the world moving forward. So we're oh. doing it now internationally. We had a, we had a, a UK final in Dubai, but there, there are plans for us to have um, best young chef, young waiter in the US, in Asia, and Europe, and then collate them all together and having a, a world competition. So what started off with a relatively modest, small uh, um, hospitality competition has now become grown. And again, it's all great for the profession, in particular front of house, but to have chefs and waiters work together, which is happening in the workplace is really good and and also networking and training and, and and we want to inspire the young we need to nurture we need to create a more appeal especially in the uk market now because of brexit will never we're more reliant on on uh, on uh, on brits and people in this country that really want to embrace it as a profession i'm i think it's one of the most rewarding flexible uh, professions out there i'm extremely proud of it i travel the world because of it i've worked in different continents because of it and i've put lots of opportunities uh, and it might not be for everyone, but actually it's, I think, one of the most rewarding professions out there. It just needs to be given a chance. And you don't, at school, you don't see, what do you want to do? be with a graph? I want to be a fireman. I want to be a policeman. But no one says I want to be a, you know, a waiter. Some say I want to be a chef. But mm. if, we can, if we can protect the industry for the future by ensuring we have as many uh, passionate um, individual, young individuals coming in, we, that bodes well for everyone. And that's what I hope in some small way I can do by having this competition and by encouraging and rewarding the young amazing young people that we we are lucky enough to have in our trade sounds fantastic and you're right there, there are a lot of skills uh, that people need to have to become a waiter it's not an easy job whatsoever or a chef no not at all and it's life skills and i've mm. said this before without preaching too much there are skills you pick up which will benefit you in so many ways whether it's food knowledge beverage knowledge but in particular people skills soft skills um and being able to, to socialize be able to communicate with people is a skill that you know, I'm still trying to master myself, but right, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's so, it's, you know, for, and, and you can go anywhere. You can go anywhere mm. in the world and, and, and get that job. You know, people have been traveling for, instead of going for weeks, they go for months and years because they can work around uh, around the, the, the globe. And, and having good food and beverage knowledge is also beneficial for both health and enjoyment. Uh, so, yeah, can't say enough. Fantastic. Now, Simon, before we finish, uh, just let us know very quickly, how can people find out more about you and uh, about Ignite and about the Victoria Oxshot? Yeah, well, thank you. So um, Igniting Hospitality is, is a good point to contact me on. I have my 
own website, uh, ignitinghospitality.com is, is the website, and uh, my contact details are there. And the Victorian Oxshot, if I'm going to come to the pub, I'll be there next time. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be very welcome to, to come through. So that's in the high street of Oxshot. Uh, and um, yeah, it's it, either of these places, but please do. Uh, if I have any questions, I'm always keen to help. And uh, again, uh, if I can mentor and guide anyone or give you any advice, then uh, that's that for me is a pleasure. That's not just something I want to do as a profession. I, I happily help like minded individuals to help uh, develop them where I can. And that's what I love doing the most, to be honest. Simon, thank you very, very much for your time this afternoon and your insight into something that we have seen in the press and in the papers for, you know, two years with all the Brexit staffing issues and all through COVID, uh, but to give us a personal feeling as to, to how things are going. Thank you for your time. You're very welcome. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me.